This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, welcome along to the weekend. Here we are, and uh, we are talking today all about the week that was in tech, including news, of course, on MetaConnect plus WordPress Accessibility Day. You're listening to Double Tap Express, your weekly roundup of what's happening on Double Tap this week. Now, here's your hosts, Stephen Scott and Sean Priest. Oh, yeah, it's Sean Priest. Oh, that was beautiful. Oh, well done, you. How I thought are you, you jump Stephen? in and say, ah, Stephen Scott. You know, I thought you'd no, maybe been, help me there. No, okay. no, I've been told not to sing, remember? Uh, oh, yeah, that's I've, right. I've no, 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 it's fine. Off. It's fine to sing. It's just don't sing songs that cost us money. No, apparently my voice uh, can crack mirrors. So, um, no, I listen to our listeners. I will never sing again, sir. That was your face they were talking about. <laughs> wow, what a lovely start to the show. <laughs> Happy weekend. Uh, and it's a happy long weekend. So you might be listening to us on the Monday. Hello, if you're uh, chilling out today. And of course, don't forget, we're back on Tuesday on the next Double Tap. Uh, lots of interesting stuff going on next week as well, because uh, what we've got the Google event next week. We have. <sighs> Another Pixel one. up, baby. Lovely. Oh, I, I, we, we do like a Pixel, though, right? I, I've got to say, I think the Pixel is the Android phone. There, I've said it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but not only that, Pixel Watch 2 is rumoured to come out, and that is the one I am interested in. Really interested to know what they do with it in terms of processor power. And I this is this is one I'm definitely going to get my hands on. I think I'm definitely going to get my hands definitely. on a Pixel Watch. Yeah, because I think I'm, I'm right in saying that's the rounded face, isn't it? It's got a round face rather than the square that you get with the Apple Watch. I think it's I believe round. so. So yes. I, I don't know why that just appeals to me because that's a, that's what a proper watch should look like, not square, round. Oh, get with the times, Daddy. Oh, you with your landline phones and <laughs> round watches. What's the matter with you? Uh, yeah, you can go back this week and listen to Sean and I argue about my new landline phone, which is not a traditional landline phone, I would like to say. It is a landline phone of the future. It is, yes. At least you did tech it up a little bit. I'll give you that. I plugged it into the internet. Um, so, <laughs> I don't know what that does, but we've plugged it in anyway. Uh, right, lots to get through. Uh, today, I'm going to show you how you can edit video using QuickTime on the Mac. We talked about that this week. And also, Maxwell Ivy joins us a bit later to talk all about WordPress accessibility day. What a stunningly interesting guy. Cannot wait yeah. to hear that interview uh, here on the Express today. But first, we turn to the Double Tap News uh, Mr. F is uh, back in his box. Mr. F. Thankfully. <laughs> and <laughs> Grace Schofield is back. Hey! Yay! Grace Schofield is back. She's here with the Double Tap News. Thanks, guys. It's so good to be back on the Double Tap News. So let's get started. Be My Eyes, an app dedicated to assisting blind and partially sighted people, has unveiled its new AI-powered visual assistant. This innovative feature will enable users to take photos and send them to the app so that it can be described, as well as queried further if necessary. Mike Buckley is the CEO of Be My Eyes and told Double Tap on Tuesday that the feature will be available to all users soon. We're not flipping the switch entirely globally today. Um, we we want to roll it out with a little bit of caution to make sure that we don't break the experience and make sure that you know volumes don't present a problem. I mean the the last piece of data that I saw was that, you know, folks are doing 
five to six sessions a day on the AI product, which is which is significant, right? And um, um, so what will happen is, you know, today we will um, launch this officially to up to ten percent of our community of over five hundred and thirty thousand. And the idea is, assuming we don't see any significant hiccups, we'll do another 10% each day. So it'll be a couple of weeks before everyone is on, on iOS. Um, Android, the Android beta is open, and I'm, I think we'll get um, Android open access done by this year as well. The app has proved extremely popular with blind people testing it during the beta phase. Listener Chris Cook got in touch this week to share her experience. I thought I would take a picture of a painting. My brother was in the army and just before uh, he went on one of the years of duty that he was um, deployed to, um, he was in Korea, I believe, and he had a Korean painter, a street vendor, paint a portrait of me and he had a little picture of me, and I was about four or five years old at the time. And here is the sweet description that it wrote back. And I have this portrait hanging on my wall, and it says, The picture you sent is of a painting or portrait. It features a young child with curly blonde hair wearing a yellow dress with ruffles. The child is sitting on a toy horse and is wearing white socks and red shoes with white laces. The child is raising one hand and has a happy expression. The painting is framed in an ornate black frame with gold detailing. And I just thought that was so sweet. And I had details of the picture that I didn't know about and just kind of gave me chills. It was just lovely. Moving on to the big tech event this week, MetaConnect. The company unveiled its latest Quest 3 mixed reality headset. The new device promises enhanced performance, better graphics, and a more immersive experience. But it was the updated Ray-Ban Stories glasses that caught the attention of these double-tappers. On stage Wednesday, Meta boss Mark Zuckerberg talked about the new features. Everything about this is upgraded from the first version. The cameras are a lot better, so the images and videos that you capture are a lot clearer. The audio is a lot better, so when you're listening to music or podcasts or taking calls, that's a lot better. Um, they're lighter, they're more comfortable, and there are a lot more styles, too. But the most interesting thing about this isn't any of those specs. It's that these are the first smart glasses that are built and shipping with Meta AI in them. We built in one more feature into these smart glasses that uh, we thought would be pretty awesome. And that is that for the first time, you are going to be able to live stream to your friends and followers from your glasses. Over to Amazon, who are reportedly considering introducing a subscription fee for its voice assistant. The company believes that the enhanced AI features and capabilities of Alexa will provide enough value for customers to consider a subscription. This move comes after Amazon locked some of Alexa's guard security features behind a paywall. Spotify has announced a new AI translation feature that will allow podcasters to translate their content into multiple languages using the original voice. This technology, developed in collaboration with OpenAI, promises a more authentic and personal listening experience. Voice-translated episodes will become available worldwide to premium and free users. 
And staying on the podcast theme, Story Button, a new audio player for kids, aims to improve the way kids listen to podcasts by moving the experience off of phones and tablet screens. At just $99.99 US, the device features an easy-to-use design, all-day battery life, and a headphone jack so kids can listen quietly around the house. The company began shipping its devices in August and sold 1,500 units across the U.S. and Canada. It says it will expand to Australia and the U.K. in 2024. It's believed StoryButton could appeal to parents who want their kids to have a screenless device to control on their own and entertain themselves with. The company found that 85% of kids use their parents' mobile devices to listen to their favorite podcasts. And finally, again on the theme of podcasts, the end is in sight for Google Podcasts. The tech giant announced its decision to shut down the app in 2024. As part of its revamped podcast strategy, Google is shifting its focus to YouTube as the primary platform for podcasts. The company plans to integrate podcasts into the YouTube Music app, offering a combined experience of music and podcasts. Now that's the Double Tap News. I'm Grace Garfield. Thank you, Grace. And great to hear you back here on Double Tap on the news this week. Um, honestly, it's so much to get through. Uh, and, you know, I'm so glad we have the wrap of the week in the way we do with Grace because we get a chance to cover stories we just even get to during the week. That story button story is really interesting. I, I kind of think two things here. One is that there's a fact in there about, uh, you know, kids using their parents' phones in order to, you know, listen to content. And also that the parents want their kids to use devices that are ideally screenless. You know, they don't have to have screens. I just think parents want their phones back. I think that's all it is. I think that's all they want <laughs> is their phones back. I think that's a really good idea, actually. Yeah. Just, just a device for listening to audiobooks. Uh, yeah, it makes it a, almost a special experience again. I like that idea. Yeah, I wonder, I mean, we immediately you think, okay, how accessible is this? If it's audio-based then it should be accessible. So I really, I'm going to dig into that a bit. We're going to contact the company and see if they can tell us a bit more about this product because I'm intrigued by this. I think a lot of blind kids could use this. And again, it's that thing of, I think this is the company, I could be wrong, but I think this is the company who created, it was like books, actual, almost like wooden blocks in the shape of a paperback book, but it was an audio book. So you, the kid could keep the book, but yes. have the story in there. I like that. I, I think that's a great I've, idea. I've always wanted Honestly. a bookshelf. <laughs> well, I, I mean, what do we keep hearing all the time about, you know, we want a separate device for just sort of media playback. Yeah. And the idea of having an audio book and having a bookshelf with audio books in it, the price was right. I think that's a really nice idea. It reminds me of the VHS uh, videotapes in those uh, book-like that's cases right. we used to <laughs> yes. get. <laughs> We're sure to rage. We're sure to rage on that one. Yes. <laughs> um, Amazon, of course, also they're talking about uh, bringing the subscription charge. There's a lot more conversation on this, and lots of you feeding back on this on Mastodon. I have to tell you that the reaction I got when posting that story was overall negative. Um, people just don't want to pay. We'll talk more about it next week, but I don't. Uh, I'm not hugely surprised by this. I'm not hugely surprised by the reaction, but I'm also not hugely surprised that they are going to charge for features it does seem though uh from what we're hearing it seems that the basic functions of lady a will continue but if you want the premium features like the let's chat and the other generative ai features that is where the premium subscription 
would come in. Uh, I think, like everything else, we'll be shocked. We'll be horrified. We'll be shocked and horrified. But then we'll be fine. We'll just pay it, and that'll be it. I don't know. Maybe not. I don't think it's going to happen. There, I've said it. Okay. Well, we shall see. I don't know. I think it'll. I think it will happen. But uh, I know we'll see. You, you disagree with me so much there, but I know we haven't got time. So you're know, going to, uh, to skip it. I know. It. Back. I know. I know. <laughs> uh, and Google Podcasts. Are you sad it's going? Uh, no. <laughs> I think it no. makes sense from a branding point of view. They tell people that YouTube is a place to go for podcasts, and yet they have all these different apps. I think actually this is one time where Google shutting something down, which is not uncommon, um, will uh, not be a bad idea, actually. I think this is maybe a sensible idea. It makes yeah, more sense. It does. It, it makes total sense. I, I would argue that music should have moved to podcasts. I, I, the YouTube premium thing and YouTube music being part of a YouTube's, I'm not so sure about that. Mm. But um yeah, it's having separate apps, I'm not sure about it anyway. It makes sense to me to merge them. This week, I told you all about uh, how you could edit videos using QuickTime. Yes, you did. And it was great. Let's take a listen. Now, look, if you're thinking about starting a podcast, even as a blind person, you have to consider video these days. There's just no way around it. It is the number one way to engage with people. Now, I resisted it for many, many years, especially from my perspective as a blind person and from, if I'm honest, from my thoughts of other blind people. Do you really want video? Is that something you would even be interested in? But the reality is the world's changed and more people are engaging. And of course, if you want to grow an audience online, you really have to consider video. It is, frankly, one of the only ways to do it. And of course, be regular with it, be consistent and find a great source of content. But then comes the challenge. How do you create video and what tools are available that will help you accessibly create that video? Now, what I'm going to show you today is not necessarily groundbreaking in the sense that I'm not going to show you how to make Toy Story 5 or 6 or 7 using Final Cut Pro. That is not going to happen with me. Maybe there are other blind people doing that, but it ain't me. What I want to show you today is something that might be useful to you if you're creating your own video podcast. And that is to create clips, to grab a clip from an interview. This is especially useful if you want to share your podcast online because, of course, you can't publish an entire hour of content necessarily on a social media platform. But what you can do is you can share clips. But how do you get those clips? How do you grab them and then share them online? Well, the sharing online part, I'll leave to you. I'm going to show you how to create the clip. So what are the options that we have? Now, I have a Mac. I have a PC. On the PC, I've heard good things about ClipChamp. Now, this is the inbuilt video editor that comes with every Windows machine. So you will have it on your machine, unless you've uninstalled it already. Apparently, it's very accessible. I have yet to find out any more than that. I know Sean has been playing with it. Maybe he'll give us a bit of a demo of that in the future. But for me today, I'm going to show you something on the Mac that you might not expect to be the answer. Now, of course, you'll think I'm going to say iMovie. Brilliant tool. Yeah, it's free. It's, again, the built-in video editor on the Mac. Comes with every device. It's even on the iPhone. There's also Final Cut Pro. That is the more expensive option because, frankly, there's a price to it. You've got to buy the app. And if I'm honest, it's overkill. It's way more than I need. There's also Reaper. Reaper is a video editor as well. You can add video to Reaper on a track and you can edit that way. In the same way with Reaper, you can edit audio, which, of course, again, is fully accessible on the Mac. But none of those tools are the ones I'm going to show you today. I'm going to show you something else, which is 
baked in, built in, free, on the Mac, comes with every device, and it's always been sitting there, and that is QuickTime Player. Now you're thinking, hang on, isn't QuickTime Player just a player? Well, it is, but it does have editing capabilities in it. Now you could use this for audio, you could also use this for video, you could also use it for both, and I'll explain why. So, let me go to my desktop. Finder, Lego CNIB window, list view, Andrea Voss from CNIB MP4 MPEG. This is an interview I did on Zoom with Andrea Voss. Now, Andrea is from CNIB. You might remember me talking to her recently here on Double Tap. And uh, this is the full video. This is you getting a little bit of a chance to see behind the scenes here. So this is the full interview that I did with Andrea. Now, for Andrea's blushes and for mine, for all the mistakes I made, I'm not going to play you the whole thing. Uh, but what we are going to do is select a clip from this. And I'm going to show you how we can edit this clip. So I'm going to open it using QuickTime. So I'll do a VO Shift M for uh, the right click context menu. Menu. And I'll choose open with. Open. Open with. And I'll right arrow. Open with QuickTime player default. And it's the default. So we'll just open straight into QuickTime player. List view. Quick Andrea Voss from CNIB MP4 window. Play slash pause. So I'm on the play slash pause button. Now there are a couple of keyboard shortcuts to get used to in QuickTime player that are really useful. So L will start playing. And if you keep pressing L, it will increment the speed of the playback. And J will slow down, will decrement the playback speed, and K will stop the audio. So let's try that. Selected. So L, and then mm. I'm going to do a quick share screen. That's because the if I do that, interview started. Then it'll let me, it's I'll hit L again. You higher quality. And then quality. I will hit yep. it again. And you see it's going really fast. And I can hear Andrea talking in amongst that. And that's how I can scrub around the audio really quickly. So I've just hit K there to stop the audio. Now, I'm not using a screen. I don't, there's no point for me having a screen. So, you know, I don't bother with that. So that's important to note. I'm doing all of this audibly. And uh, for those of you who are totally blind, you'll appreciate this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to open up the editor that's built into QuickTime Player. Yeah, it's got its own editor. Uh, so Command T. Trim. Andrea Voss from CNIB MP4. Window. Document actions. Play slash pause. And this puts us into a trim window. Now, basically, I think on screen what you have is you have the original video, but below that you have this new area that's just opened up, which is has a trim area. And the video I watched that taught me about this didn't teach me the keyboard commands. I had to go and figure this out by myself. But the, um, the structure of it is essentially you have a mini version of the video along the bottom of the screen with grab handles at either side. And you have a trim button on the right side and you have a play button on the left side. And that allows you to play the audio if you're using the mouse. And you can then just grab that little uh, handle either side to create the clip you want. But the challenge for me was, how do I do this with a keyboard? So this is how you do it. So I'm going to find a clip. And let's just um, let's just go from her name, actually, rather than scrolling through. Life. And can you okay? So let's go back a little bit. So I'm using J to go back. Selected. I've hit K. And that's me found the beginning of where she says hi. And my name is selected. Sure, my name is Anne. So I'm going to go before or just after sure. Anne's name is my name. Sure. Selected. Sure. I'll stop there. So I've just been using J and L to move around to go back and forward, and K to stop at where I want. And uh, once I've chosen it, I'm going to hit I for the in point. You don't get any feedback on that, but I'm going to trust it's done it and we'll keep going. So I'm going to hit L again. My Selected. name is Andrea Voss. 
and I'm a um, business development manager with CNIB Smart Life. Okay, so there we go. I'll stop there, and that will be my out point, and I'll hit O, and that's it. I've chosen my clip. Now, on screen, I would imagine that the grab handles are now just around that particular section of video that I'm looking for. So I'm going to view right. 2.4%. Timeline selection start time. 2.4%. I wish it would tell me the time rather than percentages, but okay. And if I hit right again, view right. 3.3%. Timeline selection end time. Okay, so I'm not entirely convinced about the timing, but I do know it's only selected a small proportion. So I know I've trimmed it or at least I've grabbed the right bit. So that's good news. So I've, I've trimmed between 2 and 3% of that area of the screen. So that shows you that obviously there is a much bigger video here, because this video, I think the interview itself is like 20 minutes long. So uh, let me VO right again. 3.3%. Timeline current time. Again, it'd be great if it told me this in actual time instead of percentage, but okay. Cancel. Cancel. Close. Close. Minimize. Minimize. Now, I am feeling I'm going to have to go view left, but I'll just keep going. Full screen. Andrea Voss from CNIBMC4. So that's me going back into the main screen again. I've come from the close Document buttons. actions. Scroll area. Scroll area. Trim. trim. There we go. So that's the trim button, okay? So once I hit that trim button, what will happen is all the video that surrounds those grab handles will disappear. And I'll just be left, in theory, with just that section where Andrea introduces herself. So let's hit view space. Play slash pop, double tap. Andrea Voss, double tap productions. Okay, so I'm going to hit home and that will take me back to the beginning and I'm going to hit L to play. You could also just hit spacebar. My name is Andrea Voss and I'm a um, business development manager with CNIB Smart Life. And I didn't stop that. That stopped itself, which means that's the clip that I have cut, which is exactly what I want to do. Finally, I can make a video clip. So uh, let me show you how you can export it now. So we'll uh, VOM to get to the menu. Menu bar, Apple. And we'll go to the QuickTime menu. QuickTime player. No, we will go to file, actually. File. Yeah, we are. And we'll move down. File. And of course, the thing here is you will also hear all the different shortcuts as we go through this option as well. New movie recording command option, N. That's if you want November. to create a new movie, and you can even record directly into QuickTime as well. Don't know if you're aware of that, but if you have your camera hooked up, you can even use continuity cam. If you've got an iPhone 14 or 15, you'll be able to use your iPhone camera and just record straight into QuickTime. That's also quite cool. New audio recording command shift N. doesn't have to be November. just video. You could also record audio in this as well. Um Maybe come back to that at a different time because you want to make sure your settings are right on this. But we'll, we'll come back to that another time. New screen recording command control N. And that, of course, is great for anyone who wants to record their screen. You can also include your microphone in that as well. You can be talk through like, remember Michael Babcock's demo of screen recording using your iPhone? Well, this is the equivalent here on the Mac. Open file ellipsis command O. Uh, you can open Oscar. files directly in uh, this way. Of course, I could just do it from the desktop, but that's up to you. Open location ellipsis command L. Uh, not Lima. sure if, what I would do with that if I can open up from other places. I, I don't know. I've not used that one. Open image sequence ellipsis command shift. Uh, that's quite oh. useful, I think, if you want to create an image sequence. You can grab a whole pile of photos. I think you can even add audio to that as well. There's a whole process there. But uh, that's, again, another another day. That's one thing at a time. Open recent. Close command. W. Save ellipsis command. S. Duplicate command shift. S. Exporters. Export as. Here we go. So uh, this is an ellipsis, which means I go right arrow. Exporters, 4K ellipsis. 
So I can now export it as 4K, 1080p ellipsis, 1080p, 720p ellipsis, 420p, 480p ellipsis, 480. I don't think it would do that. Audio only ellipsis and audio only. So this is handy as well. You could e you could edit a clip of audio using this tool as well. If you want to just grab a clip of audio and export it out as audio, we do this for the radio show a lot of the time. We don't need video on the audio show, right? So sometimes we have a video, we want to grab a clip of it, we can open it up and we can export that as audio. That's how you can yeah, use that as well. So I'm going to choose... 4K ellipsis. Ah, let's do 4K. So let's just do that and I'll hit space. Dimmed. Hmm, dimmed, okay. Uh, so that means it's not available. That means the video is not in 4K quality. 1080p okay. ellipsis. We'll choose 1080 then. In export. Exporters. Tags. And at this point, I'm just going to save it as... Uh, Selection Andrea. Repair. Andrea. Voss, Voss clip. clip. And I'm going to hit... Uh, just for, so I know it's on the desktop, I'm going to hit Command-Shift-D... That means for me, I know it's going definitely going to the desktop. And I'll hit enter. Double tap. Productions. And let me just check the desktop. Finder. F Finder. Lego CNIB window. List view. On the desktop, I'm going to check if it's there. And I called it Andrea Voss. I'll hit A. Andrea Voss clip. Mod QuickTime movie. Today at 1025. 777 kilobytes. QT movie. And there you go. That's it. Simple as that. Now, there are other features in there. And if you go through the QuickTime settings, you'll see things for splits and all that. And you can create multiple clips as well. Uh, there are other ways, for example, to create videos. You can have clips added to the end of a video. So you could make multiple clips together into one movie. I'll come back to that another day. But I thought that was enough for now just to show you if you ever want to make just a small clip for social media and share it with your friends out of a video that you've got or maybe another video you have, that is how you do it without vision using QuickTime Player on the Mac. This is Double Tap from AMI-audio. Email us, feedback at doubletaponair.com. Call us, 877-803-4567. And find us on social media, on Twitter and Facebook, at Double Tap On Air. And now on Mastodon, at Double Tap. Yeah, keep in touch. Of course, we are back on Double Tap on Tuesday. But uh, this week on The Express, we thought we'd take you back to Wednesday and Thursday of this week when it was WordPress Accessibility Day. And I caught up with Maxwell Ivy, the blind blogger. He's also an accessibility advisor. And he told me all about WordPress from his perspective and also his thoughts on the state of internet accessibility in 2023 and how AI could present or possibly even create some opportunities in the future to make the web more accessible. I started off by welcoming Maxwell to the show. Stephen, thanks so much for inviting me. I was really surprised when y'all reached out last week and uh, and said you wanted me to come on and talk about accessibility, something I love talking about. So thank you. And of course, with WordPress Accessibility Day, it's a great time to bring up this topic, which frankly, I've been keen to bring up for a long time. And I think you are the exact guest I want to have this conversation with. And the first question I have to ask you is, and it's a big question, what is the state of web accessibility in 2023? Well, given that the Americans with Disabilities Act is over 30 years old, and given the thousands of people working in this field and some major corporations that are invested in accessibility online, uh, the truth is it's a very sad situation. Uh, I recently read a statistic from the people over at AudioEye that says that, that still only 3 to 4% of the internet is considered to be 100% accessible. 3 to 4%, not 30 to 40, 
three to four. Yes, you heard me correctly. I I wow. I cringe every time I say it because you would think you know I, I my first adventure online with my own website to Midway Marketplace was in 2007. So that was 16 years ago, and at that time I had to learn to code HTML to get online because there was no WordPress, Facebook, or Wi-Fi at that point. So. I have watched things progress a long way, and even in that 15, 16 years, I still run into a large number of websites, apps, and content where I have to reach out to the technical support or customer support people and go, hey, I can't use this the way it is. Would you please help me navigate it? Yeah, that's interesting, and this seems to be an ongoing issue. It feels like we've been having this conversation forever, but I am absolutely astounded by those those numbers. Uh Talk me through, and we'll get into the, the bigger conversation around this in a moment, but I want to ask you a little bit about WordPress. It is WordPress Accessibility Day, Thursday, Friday. Uh, tell me why WordPress uh, is so important to you and why you think it dominates so much in, in the world of the web. Right. Well, I am a fan of WordPress. One of the one of the best days of my life was when I found found out about it and when I found a friend online who was willing to help me migrate my website from where it was to a WordPress site uh, and the the reasons for you know my appreciative appreciation of them is frankly their sincere effort because even from day one 11 or 12 years ago they have always been dedicated to the prospect of inclusion and accessibility for all users not just the visually impaired not just the hearing impaired, but they were even ahead of the curve when it comes to things like epilepsy and autism and neurodevelopmental diseases and those people being able to not only access websites created in WordPress, but to be able to create their own websites in WordPress. Now, to be totally honest, I have to admit that since the introduction of Gutenberg in 2019, I think it was, that I find some things aren't as intuitive as they used to be. Some things take me a little bit longer to figure out how to do them because it was a, a radical change from rich text editing approach to a block editing approach. So it's one of those things that, you know, in your mind takes a little bit of time to adjust to the, the new approach. And then, of course, since Gutenberg, every time they have a new update, they uh, they... In, they change even more things, but hey, that happens with every website we use. I mean, there is no such thing as a static website on the internet. Everybody changes their content either because they feel like they need to for better security or better user experience, or because they feel like they need to to justify the fact that somebody's getting paid to maintain their website. So it all changes. Uh, but there have been some difficulties, in my opinion, with more recent versions of WordPress, but who else is going to dedicate speaking slots at all their events to accessibility? You know, who else is going to have the kind of accessibility teams that they do on the back end of creating their product? Who, who else is going to, to push accessibility to the plugin and widget developers the way they do? So they, they get my, my top rating for sincere interest and effort. And while they're not 100% either, I feel like without them, my life would be so much more difficult because, you know, the next best options would be something like Drupal or possibly using a website builder within a hosting company like 
like Bluehost or GoDaddy or something like that. And and I've played around with those, and I I cringe every time I think about the possibility that I might not be able to do things with WordPress. So uh, that's why, to me, they are so beloved within the disability community and by me personally. Yeah, and I think that's the key point. I mean, you know, obviously there's two sides to this. There's the consumer aspect, the people who use the websites, who can use those websites if they're created accessibly. And of course, that's a, another conversation we should have. Um, but also the fact that the back end, and this is the bit you're talking about, right? The bit where you can get in and actually create your own website, that's accessible. So, you know, the content creator, as well as the consumer, can get the benefit out of the content. Is it the case that, like all web accessibility, it's down to the individual developers, the person who's building the site, and that's what makes it accessible. It's not that WordPress inherently makes it accessible. You hit it right on the head, Stephen. It all comes down to the person who creates the website. Now, WordPress does make it easier for sites to be built that are accessible on the front end at the user level, but they can't force people to add a given item to their website just because they think it would be better for end users. And, uh, but they do a good job. Well, one of the things that they have done, which I, I think really helps a lot, is the um, inclusion of fields for alt text and descriptions when you upload an image to a WordPress account because it's going to prompt you, and while it won't force you to enter text there, it will make you feel like you're... you. You know, you're going to have to do that in order to get to the next phase of adding an image to a to a page or a post. So I feel like that's that's been done well. I think the a lot of the search engine optimization that uh, that they encourage on their back end is is helpful. But you're absolutely right. It comes down to the individual website developer. And this is where if you if you got a chance to check on any of my talk for last year's WordPress uh, accessibility day is that I totally believe that accessibility is a partnership. It requires communication and collaboration. It means that I have to tell people who develop websites what I need and why I need it. I have to help them create the accessibility that's involved in making it where I can use it without having to think about it or get or go get my Tylenol. You know, um, I have to give people. <laughs> <laughs> I have to give people the reason why they should care about accessibility, which is twofold. That being, first, for every t every time you create something that's accessible, you are almost always creating content, websites, or apps that are better for everybody that will use them, not just the people who have disabilities. And that's really important because a lot of website developers are like, why should I care? Because there aren't enough of y'all to make it worth my while. So that's a big thing. The other thing I talk a lot about is when you make a website accessible, you give yourself the opportunity to reach a huge, mostly untapped market of consumers, whether that be products, services, or content. We are a large market, over 1 billion, 300 million people if you add this all together. Uh, we are highly loyal to people, businesses, and brands that make us feel welcome for accessibility. And we will advocate for inclusive brands. I like to use this line, and uh, I hope it 
I, I hope it uh, it sounds the way I hear it in my head, but basically, when you develop, when you build products, services, and content for everyone, for people with disabilities, if you make your work inclusive, it's like hiring influencers you don't have to pay. Mm, so, so yeah, that's that's, that's the so reason true. I tr- that's the reason I try to give them, and then. You know, the developer has to do their part. They have to take advantage of the tools that are available to them in WordPress, GoDaddy, HostGator, HTML, PHP, Java, whatever format they're using to create their websites. There are so many tools available to them and so many companies and individuals that will help them follow the accessibility guidance that we try to give them. It's just up to them to follow it. And that's where giving them the reason, making it compelling that they are inclusive is is really the key so like i said uh it's it's a partnership we have to communicate and collaborate and i really feel like if we would do that more and maybe spend a little less time on new regulations threats of lawsuits and shame we might get a little bit better as far as the amount of inclusive websites well, it's interesting you raise that point because that is the other view on this. That is the almost what you're talking about is the carrot approach, and then there's the stick approach, which is let's threaten all kinds, let's threaten legal action, and all of that. And, and you know, I'm leaning towards your view on this. I think I'm very much on, on that side of let's have a conversation because I, you know, this is what I'm intrigued by from your experience. Do you find when you go to a developer and you ask the question, hey, you know, is this site accessible or, you know, could this be more accessible? Do do they even understand what the concept of accessibility is? I think that a lot of them have at least least a basic understanding of what it is, but it scares them, uh, which is one of the reasons why I feel like I generally get such uh, great responses from developers and from customer support people is because I approach them in a non-threatening manner. I'm not like, you're horrible, evil people, and if you don't change this by yesterday at 3 o'clock, there's going to be trouble. I'm like, look, I am a visually impaired person. This is the technology I use. I would love to use your website, your app, uh, your service, but these are the issues I'm having with it. Is there some way that we can work around this? And Sometimes they fix things, and sometimes they go, Mr. Ivy, would, that's what you need to do. Would you be okay with us doing it for you? And so, hey, if that's what it takes for me to accomplish my goal for that day, I'm totally fine with it. And I actually have encouraged some developers to even put some of that into their, uh, into their process. Like, one of the things that blind people struggle with is uploading images to profiles. I wish more people would do like speak mm. like Speaker Match does, and just say, "Hey, here's an email link. If you don't think you can upload your image and get it properly centered, just send it to us, and we will add it to your profile for you." I wish, you know. So I do things like that, and I sometimes hear from other disabled people who are like, "Max, that's not true independence. That's not true accessibility. That's not true usability." And I'm like, "Yeah, but I got what I needed to get. I got my." My end goal you satisfied the, the short done. term. Yeah, you got the job done. And that's oftentimes that's the challenge for all of us is just getting through the day. And we've enough challenges in our lives, right? And it's not uniquely a blind thing, but we all have problems in our lives. We all have challenges. We might have kids running around, you know, wanting fed or, you know, a dog wants out every five minutes or whatever it is. You know, there's stuff going on in our lives. And you just want to get to the end of the result. And sometimes 
I often think about the word independence. You know, it also includes the word dependence in there, right? It's kind of twofold. It's but it's part of the same thing ultimately. Right. Well, one of the things I am well known for speaking on is is I like to I like the topic of interdependence. And the first time mm. I ever heard it was in Tom Sullivan's book, Hearing Lessons, Things I Learned in the Dark. And when I heard it, I'm like, man, that's how I've always lived my life. Because my dad taught me from an early age, he's like, Bags, you're you're going to have it harder unless you ask for help or let people help you. So you should never be afraid to put your hand up and go, hey, I need some help. And so I've pretty much always lived that way. But then to find this, you know, an incredibly famous, successful guy saying that that's been a big part of his life, too. I was like, man, that was a really big aha moment. So I... I agree with you. I think we overemphasize the word independence, maybe a little more on the dependence part. Uh, but I like to talk about interdependence as opposed to it, independence and uh, collaboration instead of compliance. And who knows, I may just be wired differently, but that's the way I do it. But, you know, you talk about accessibility and are people familiar with it? I recently started writing for an, a magazine called PHP Architect, and they're really, really, really nice guys over there. They wanted somebody to write about accessibility for their developers. And some of the questions that I have been asked about accessibility from these people, because they're not afraid to offend me because they're, because they've got me as a, as a contributor, you know? So that gives them the freedom to ask me things they wouldn't necessarily ask a strange blind guy on the street. Here are some of the things that we have talked about and a couple that I've written about. Um, color descriptions on websites. How do blind people navigate emoticons, stickers, and GIFs? Spoiler alert, GIFs are totally inaccessible to blind users. Mm -hmm. um, one that they didn't th that they didn't realize is the, the disastrous effects small changes to an existing website can have on accessibility as a result, putting a barrier between you and your customers. You know, these are things that they would have not thought of, and a lot of people don't think about until I bring it up and start talking to them about it, and they're like, you know, I can't believe that that is a big thing when it seems like such a small thing. And uh, I think that goes back to the whole idea of communication, and I agree with you. Uh, we need to spend more time on the carrot and a little less on the stick if you think about how cantankerous mules are and the fact that it takes both to get them to go in the direction their owner wants them to go in, that should be a good example for us. <laughs> I love that one. I love that. Uh, I want to ask you, because we've been talking about AI. Of course, you know, it seems these days you're shortchanging people if you don't discuss AI in every conversation you have these days. But, you know, AI, of course, is a very real thing. It's having a big, big impact on the web, and it's going to have even more of an impact on the web itself in the coming months, never mind years. And I want to ask you this question because it's something I think about a lot. Web accessibility is a challenge. You've just given us the stats on this, right? That The stats are horrifying. If AI could allow me to use a chatbot to be able to, and I use the example, buy a yellow toaster on Amazon that's less than $40 or maybe up to $50, but no less than 25 that kind of thing. And could you add it to my basket and pay for it using my card ending one, two, three? If I could do that in a chatbot and it could do it, does that allow Amazon to get away with inaccessibility on their website? If I can find my own way to do it quicker and easier and, like we said earlier, just get the job done? 
Well, obviously, you're answering, you're asking a question that you know I'm going to agree with you on. So, uh, congrats <laughs> for following along at home, as they say. Um, so, so, I mean, I think to a certain extent, there's already artificial intelligence built into the Amazon process. Otherwise, it wouldn't recommend all those other products every time I try to buy something that I actually went there to purchase. So, uh, I think what you're talking about would make perfect sense. And I don't see why the the problem is go, for them is going to be this they are going to have to get the rules concerning accessibility and things like the americans with disabilities act changed otherwise while they may be making their process very accessible in my opinion and in your opinion they won't be conforming to the regulations on how it's supposed to be achieved so i think that artificial intelligence would be great if it could do that for you and I really like it when I call somebody who I have to deal with and it all it automatically recognizes my number and says, Hi, Mr. Ivy, I'm I'm totally cool with that and and I really like it when I can enter when I can when I can tell my a uh, bill like T Mobile, I can tell them, Hey, I'm paying this with my MasterCard ending with certain four numbers and it'll go, sure. I like stuff like that. So I think uh I think Amazon should hire me and you to co- to uh, to implement this. <laughs> <laughs> and and then they should pay us to advocate that this is definitely accessibility in the spirit of the ADA and all the other regulation on accessibility. Now, I also think about artificial intelligence because uh, it's one of those subjects that's a little scary or it can be. So here's what I wonder. Uh, I wonder if we let I, if we let artificial intelligence run free, and hopefully we're not going to do that, but. I wonder if artif- if the AI programs would look at accessibility the way a lot of short-sighted companies still look at access- accessibility and do the math and go, I'm sorry, it's not worth it. There's not enough of them spending enough money, uh, sharing enough content, creating enough content. There's just not enough of them to require us to do this. And that's one of the things that worries me a little about artificial intelligence is that uh, on the one hand, yes, it could go a long way to making things accessible that are not right now. But on the other hand, it could also go a long way towards excluding us even further. So I think that's where we really have to have some limits on what artificial intelligence can be used for and what it can do. Now, you say I have asked you a question that you would automatically agree with, but I think the part of it that I wasn't sure if you would agree with me on was whether or not it lets developers off the hook when it comes to accessibility. Now, What your answer tells me is that there's a broader question now going into 2024 and beyond of what is accessibility? What does accessibility actually mean? Is it every heading has been formatted as a heading, every button is labeled, or is it about making the process of using the site easier through voice or through chatbot or through another method? I mean, an example I think about is the Disability Answer Desk at Microsoft, where I can now contact them through the specialist support on my Be My Eyes app that's way more easier than trying to navigate the site to find the phone number or even just do the email or use the feedback hub. So, you know, it's many doors, same room, right? But, you know, the challenge is that one of those doors may not be accessible to us. But if there is another door, is that okay? It's totally okay with me. Uh, I'm, I'm all about the end result and I think it would definitely get them off the hook with me as if it, if it works, you know, because one of the things we were promised, yeah. we, uh, one of the things we were promised with the algorithms years ago was that 
we would get to a point where we we would only see advertising that's for products that we're actually interested in. And we both know that that's very unreliable if it works at all. So, uh, so, you know, whether or not it would work, I don't know. In my opinion, it would get them off the hook with the percentage of accessibility enthusiasts who are all about pragmatic, um, functionality, performing a particular task and is with as little effort in as short a time as possible. It would get them off the hook with me. Whether or not it would get them off the hook with the government is a whole nother story. And I and whether it would get them off the hook with the, quote, advocacy groups is also a whole other story. And I personally think that there's enough people that are invested in the rules of the road, the actual letters of the laws that have been passed, that there would be people who would fight over this particular d- definition of accessibility, usability, whatever you want to call it, I wouldn't be one of them. But I think we can both agree there would be people and advocacy groups who would fight tooth and nail to say this is not accessibility. Now, I want to go back to your first point about the stats that you read from AudioI about 3 to 4%, not 30 to 40 <laughs> three to four percent of the web being essentially accessible to to us as disabled people i want to go back to that because you said that and what i've heard from you is a sense of hope a sense of optimism and i'm trying to work out why (laughs) things can get better where's the optimism i'm trying to work it out (laughs) Okay, I will help you out with this. First, uh, and yes, I said three to four percent is one hundred percent accessible. There's, yeah. uh, you know, there's there are many more sites that are partially acceptable, but they, but many of those have one or more things that are just that would just aggravate the heck out of me. So, three or four percent—that's a hundred percent accessible. So, here is where the hope and the optimism comes from. First, I have always been a positive, optimistic person. Uh, my, I have friends who say that mice could find a dark mice could find a find a rainbow in a hurricane, you know. So, uh, <laughs> actually, I made that line up, but it sounds better if I say other people said it. Um, <laughs> so, here are some of the things that make me optimistic. All right, one, we have people like AudioEye that are employing people with disabilities to generate what accessibility looks like and then apply that at scale and they're not the only company they're just one i happen to be familiar with there's lots of them out there and because of legal action like i say sometimes a stick is needed because of legal action those automation options are becoming better and better every day or they're going out of business if they're not getting better so that's part of it uh i'm a public speaker and over the last year or two i have been invited to speak on accessibility more often I have seen the number of events looking for speakers on accessibility and inclusion growing exponentially. Uh, it seems like just about every business-based event that I that run that I run across is seeking a speaker. When you read the list of topics they want people to speak about, there's always a topic on adaptive technology, accessibility, inclusion, uh, people with disabilities, inclusive meaning, best practices, etc. So there are a lot of people in the business world wanting to find out about accessibility and wanting to learn it from people who do it. That's encouraging. 
uh, the number of opportunities I have had to write for websites on this subject. I'm, and next month I'll be publishing an article on Roku from the point of view of a visually impaired person for Reviewed Magazine. Um, I've been writing for AudioWise since last year. I've been writing for PHP Architect since June. And so there's publications that are, that are seeking experts on accessibility to share their knowledge and experience and their opinions. So that's encouraging. Uh, you know, the more, there are more and more websites that have, uh, they have done things to make it where, you know, they must, uh, they must know that they have potentially visually impaired users. Uh, one of my favorite examples is, uh, I searched a long time to look for a content relationship management or CRM software. And I had a lot of trouble finding one. And the main thing was setting up my workflow always required me to use a drag and drop option, which generally are not fun with a screen reader because you don't have access to the mouse button, which there again is something a lot of people do not know. They don't know that blind people because of the screeners don't have access to a mouse most of the time. Um, but, I, I, I got to connect with uh, people on the back side of that company, and I found out that from the bottom up, their employees said, we want to be part of an inclusive company, and that means your your product needs to be accessible to screen reader users. So they went and found an open source option to create a drag and drop where I just use my space bar and my arrow keys to move items around within the forms that I set up so that I could enter my information. And... Uh, anytime I have a problem, they don't just take that as Max has a problem. They take that as a suggestion of something they should fix for all their users. So these are the kind of things that are encouraging. When you see a large, a, well, I guess you'd say medium to large company where accessibility is an issue from the bottom up. And I think we can either credit or blame the, the, a lot of the young people like the millennials and the Gen Zers for this, because the same thing that makes them passionate about the environment, about LGBTQ and the other letters that follow after it, uh, the same thing that makes them passionate about uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion makes them passionate about accessibility, and they push that up through the ranks of companies that they belong to. So those are some of the reasons why I'm positive, because, you know, we're never going to get to 100% of 100%. But as long as you can see real movement and it's movement at all levels. The corporate C-suite, the average worker, the the management levels. You know, you see it at the level of uh, the magazine and blog publishers, the, uh, you know, the speaking event organizers. So that's why I'm that's why I'm really optimistic about the future because I, you know, you you mentioned, you know, uh, you mentioned inertia earlier. You said you know if we take our foot off the gas then we could find ourselves in worse position down the road. Well, right now, to borrow a Russian expression, the current is flowing in our direction. We need to swim. And that was Maxwell Ivy, of course, joining us to talk all about WordPress Accessibility Day. Such an interesting conversation. Can't wait to hear all your feedback on this. And we will get into all your feedback from Tuesday, so do keep it coming. 
at feedback at doubletaponair.com. one eight seven seven eight zero three four five six seven. Did you enjoy yourself this uh, this weekend on the Express, Sean Priest? Uh, you know, I always enjoy the part part. I always enjoy it. It was jam packed, and there was some great stuff. I think Maxwell was really really interesting with that WordPress um, accessibility day. Um, I really found some points there. I think we're going to get some emails on. Oh, I think so. Definitely. Uh, Well, listen, that is it for us. Uh, Have a great long weekend and we'll catch you Tuesday. Sean, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. The Walrus is Canada's conversation and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.